We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing college esports. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. It's all of the information for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Mike Aguilar. Mike is the Director of Esports and Co-Curricular Innovation at University of Oklahoma. He's also the Lead Advisor for the University of Oklahoma Esports Club. OU is unique in that they have a very expansive esports program, including a shoutcaster development program, a competitive gaming program, competing in Overwatch, League of Legends, Rocket League, Valorant, CSGO, and Smash Brothers Ultimate. They even operate Sooner Esports, which is a press outlet that allows students to publish articles, reviews, opinion pieces, and gaming event coverage. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You know, we're going to briefly introduce college esports. So, in addition to youth and high school esports, college esports has been growing strong. There's currently over 220 colleges in the US and Canada that are actively recruiting and offering scholarships for esports in a variety of titles, as well as some schools even offering undergraduate classes in the field. Some offer full degrees, and some even offer just certifications. There's also a competitive circuit that exists where colleges compete against each other for prize money and scholarships. Um, A few of these are NACE, which is the National Association of Collegiate Esports. You have TESPA, and then CSL, which is Collegiate Star League. 
and one of the largest college esports scene is the College League of Legends, which is ran by the developer Riot Games. It has over 350 teams competing in North America. So now we know a little bit more about college esports. Tell us a bit about your past esports and gaming experience. So I started gaming in the mid 2000s on the Atari 2600 to date myself. Uh, I was in Germany when I got my first console uh, in West Germany, specifically the wall was still up. And uh, through time, I evolved along with the scene itself. So getting the Nintendo in the late 80s, getting Super Nintendo, Genesis, everything along the way. Um, I think I had the majority of every single console up into about 2005. But the biggest turning point in the actual gaming and, and um, the, the biggest you know, kind of eye-opening energy was in around the late 90s when we started to get broadband in the, unit, in the United States. And then here comes Battle.net with Brood War. And that was kind of, again, the formal kickoff of, a, of, the, of conventional esports, what we see today with now using the internet as a means to communicate and connect and naturally have multiplayer games. And while that netcode was definitely not ideal as it is today, it was very, very powerful being that first kind of generation. And so I remember, I remember getting rolled by Koreans inside of StarCraft before it was even <laughs> popular uh, <laughs> and before the scene was even here. And I was like, man, what, what is this? Uh, and why am I getting destroyed because of their insane micro back in that day? Um, and so that was, uh, that was fun, but uh, also dove into day one of Xbox Live with the Xbox original and um, PlayStation Network when that finally came out. And even Dreamcast Online stuff, I remember playing Fantasy Star Online um, as one of the first launching titles with uh, Dreamcast's uh, LAN adapter. And, um, you know, that was kind of a cool, cool kind of renaissance of all this wonderful kind of connectivity that was coming. We also didn't know how to behave as a society and still kind of don't when we talk about like <laughs> social media and online norms. And uh, in gaming, whether that was casual or competitive, you know, there, there's a lack of mentorship um, and opportunity. That's why we see a lot of toxicity in this community. But uh, fast forward to, two, uh, to 2001, 2002 specifically, um, actually 2001. So at that time, obviously, a young guy had uh, graduated in 2000 and, and started my college career um, at a local university in Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, and... Uh, the, the biggest thing there was I enlisted and after a year of college, I enlisted, I ended up deciding that I wasn't ready. I wasn't mentally focused and I was just wasting my money and my time right now. So I opted to join the military. And in that um, July of 2001, specific, or June 2001, three months later is September 11. So during September 11 and all the ramp up of, of, of activation and, and mobilization, gaming became that one thing uh, in the military. It's a very common phrase called hurry up and wait which is finish these, finish these milestones, finish these, these tasks and goals, and then be ready for the next. Um, and so a lot of the times during that ready for the next, that downtime, we spent playing video games. So naturally at that time, you know, you had stuff like SOCOM, you had stuff like, uh, um, you know, original Call of Duty uh, iterations and, and, um, and a lot of these early first-person shooters. And so that, used, that became our, our bonding um, as we got thrown into this very stressful environment of the thought of potentially going overseas. and and having to fight for, for what we believed in at that moment. Um, moving past the military time, uh, I had set that, that, at that journey, I had set a lot of the gaming energies and any kind of serious intent with that kind of to the side. And um, that, was, uh, that, was, that was significant because it's like letting part of yourself go. Not that it was like, hey, I want to be a pro gamer or anything at that time, but you know, other priorities start to take place. I finally kind of woke up at 26, 27, Started to finish my degree and um, or my yeah my undergrad in IT and then went right into my master's in business administration uh, into the 2010s. Well, fast forward to 2016. Um, so at this point, I'm already in my mid 30s uh, or you know, early to mid 30s, and my CIO of IT 
comes back and um actually i forgot one one of my most important gaming moments which i played world of warcraft from vanilla through cataclysm and at this time i was an extreme introvert like my girlfriend wife now uh would have to drag me out by the arm to leave the house social anxiety um you know just massive amounts of, of social inter, you know dissonance and i didn't want i just hated being outside like in regards to just people mm-hmm. so world of warcraft is when my when my character type started to evolve because i started to understand my ability to coordinate the logistics and the strategies inside of a game the meta um using it as a means to understand empathy and and um, customer service as a as a means to keep inspiring a group of at that time 40 people to do a raid um, and then eventually becoming the voice for them and understanding that, hey, guys, when it's raid time, it's 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 serious time. We can be playful in there as long as the intention and the objective oriented nature of what we're trying to accomplish is taken seriously because there's 39 other people aside from myself that are spending their time doing this and they want to get that achievement. They want to work together. And it created that uh, that wow family um, that I still have plenty of connections in today. It actually landed me a, a interview and potential job at AMD and Unfortunately, Intel slammed the core uh, architecture on AMD, and AMD went into a dark place for a long time, um, pretty much all the way until a couple of years ago with Ryzen. Um, but uh, that uh, that was important because it made me start to understand the power of my voice and the, the enjoyment I had in logistics, and then also the the social interaction that I'd never experienced before. As the closeout to my WoW career, um, we had invited, uh, as funny as it may sound to any audience members, um, I married a couple in-game. And then I went and got licensed to marry them in real life. So they flew to Oklahoma City and uh, as well as 30 to 40 of my other guild members from all over the continent came together. And this is there's this wonderful photo. And I don't know where it's at. I think I lost it. That's really sad. I know it's somewhere. But there's this wonderful photo of us finally coming together for the first time. And that photo is almost like what the epitome of a NATO photo would be like. There's every skin tone, every height every body type, every gen, you know, genders. Uh, we had someone with disabilities in a wheelchair and it was one of the most powerful images and moments in my life that really understood the power of what gaming actually meant and what it enabled. So 2013 came in, um, and we, uh, we got tapped our 2016 and the CIO of it for OU tapped me on the shoulder, um, and said, what the heck is Twitch? Um, he had hmm. just attended an Amazon summit and he was like, this is interesting. What is this? And I said, well, Hold my G Fuel and let's get going. So, um, take my HyperX headset and let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, so I got to sat down and started doing R&D. At that time, um, there was really less than 25 universities uh, that were even institutionally supporting it, not necessarily me- massive scholarships or anything like that. But um, I remember my very first conversation, which was AJ Dimmick at the University of Utah's esports program, which was the first Power Five university to get esports uh, institutional support in the United States. And it was the week of his, uh, a week or second week of his, um, his uh, uh, appointment and elevation. And so I picked his brain and uh, at the time, age is like, well, just be persistent and be patient. And I was like, okay, <laughs> it's like, there's really nothing more to it. It's like, it will prove itself. Um, and then just don't let go of it, you know? And so that's what I did. And for the next four years up into 2020, um, there was a, a program that we looked at or not program we looked at, but we looked at this intent of building essentially a professional esports organization in all of its accoutrements right inside of the heart of another Power Five university and not leaving any any rock unturned. So we do have energies, as mentioned, obviously in leadership, um, just like any student org that are here to mentor those students to stand next to me, not behind me, so that they can speak like me, so they can have inevitably replace me when my time is up. 
Um, and the same thing would be a CIO of, a, of an of an EG or a or a T1 or a, you know 100 thieves or anything like that that can help do those business operations, form partnerships, understand um, the macro view of business logistics, uh, division of community, the most important one on any college campus. I don't care what anybody says. I'll fight you for that one. Um, without that community, you don't have any ability to feed into these different pillars of opportunity, nor do you have your future fan base aside from your parents. Um, and uh, really kind of feeds the pulse of what it means to be in college, uh, but also a fan of a specific brand, whether that is 100T or an OU or a UCLA or a C9. You know, that's the same kind of approach that we have in our athletics divisions. Why can't it exist in the esports programs? So our community is now pushing past 1,600 members, the largest student org on OU's campus um, by more than four times. Uh, and so that's a huge achievement in itself and showing the, the due process of what we've done in being respectful to the culture, protective of the culture, and creating a safe environment for people to still have a voice, but understand that toxicity has its own place. We want to elevate this, and we do that through, through being professional. And it's okay to have emotional responses. It's okay to have conflict, but you have to understand that those things are normal, not a cause to just go crazy. And it's worked pretty well. That's, again, a testament to why we've gotten to, to, to such a big number if we didn't have such a big number, or if we didn't have that kind of a foundation, that number would not be anywhere near it because people feel comfortable, they feel uh, safe in that location. But the three main ones, um, and actually I'll just dive to the last one, intercollegiate competition. You know, every university is competing in, in esports in some way or another. When people think esports, they automatically flock to that. But that was actually the last thing that we spun up. And um, that was important. Uh, that's important naturally because representation for the University of Oklahoma is important at the same things that our peers are and competitors are competing in. Um, but at the other at the other spectrum, you know, there's no ability for people to even enjoy esports unless you do the journalistic practicum core of what we see in traditional sports entertainment as well as esports. So we had to create create our own shoutcasting program and and people that can do produce uh, that can produce and do overlays and and understand vocal inclination and play by play and emotional draw, just like we see a Shaquille O'Neal or a John Madden or a Charles Barkley or anything else in the in the traditional persona ener energies um, and conventional sports. We have those same figureheads and personas in esports as well, and we'll be no different because if they're if they're definitely getting hired by like Nerd Street with uh, Valorant First Strike, for instance, right now, then those are job opportunities. And you know, new games will come, old games will mature and evolve, and there'll be more need and more and more visibility and, and more opportunity. Um, the second one was that news and media outlet, the, the press outlet that you mentioned. You know, we've sent students to DreamHack, you know, at, under a press release or not under a press under a press pass because we're essentially we're literally a press outlet. So that adds us another avenue um, to allow our students to have exposure to the industry, um, save some money, and legitimately task them with the responsibility of telling that narrative and, and showcasing what these things are about. Um, it also allows us to flex things like creative media production and, and journalism degrees in general, as well as professional writing. And then my favorite topic, the one that I think that some universities are starting to dabble in, but I think they're falling into it instead of intentionally building it um, from the day from day one is our influencer style streaming division, which is focused on building the actual uh, streaming personas. Like this is this is how we create the next attempt at a shroud, at a doctor disrespect, at a, at a ninja. And a lot of that stuff is, is good timing, but the, there's several things that we can reverse engineer from those names that, that they do share, whether that's consistency, whether that's the quality of how they stream um, on top of their gameplay and their ability and the talents, that stuff can be mentored to some extent and again, has tiebacks to certain curriculums that most university campuses teach, whether that's communications or broadcast standards or, or, or a creative media production degree. So um, 
Yeah, so that's that's been my experience building this. Uh, now I am the director of esports and co-curricular innovation uh, for the University of Oklahoma with the student largest student organization underneath uh, my my advisory. And uh, the the energy that have elevated us now in the last one is a VP of the university. So we went from being the little peon in regards to administrative buy-in to being one tier below the president in in its support. So that was a huge upgrade. And so the natural things that we mentioned about the scene overall and in, in collegiate esports like scholarship, curriculum, um, recruitment, career services are now coming to fruition and we'll have strategies behind them coming into the spring semester. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be the most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. It's their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. You talked about a lot of stuff, and I want to kind of, you know, break down and go a little bit more detail on some of it. Sure. So, you know, I've always mentioned, and I even wrote in, you know, some of the articles I've written about college esports, about your shoutcasting program. So tell us a little bit more about this. You know, what kind of unique benefits does it provide the students that are participating in it? So uh, one of the things that when we strategized about our roles and our pillars, um, we looked at one, the, what the industry needed and what was consuming. We looked at what the university offers and degrees. And then we looked at that any kind of guidance and compliance um, documentation that the university had. And we structured all the job uh, requirements as well as the, the scope of these programs around those three kind of individual pieces of documentation that the university already had. And as a means to help a stage when it comes time to talk to deans and faculty and stuff like this, that we were already speaking their own language. So when we talk about shoutcasting, um, at the end of the day, for the University of Oklahoma, that falls directly under a creative media production degree. And inside a creative media production degree, we teach broadcast standards. We teach how to broadcast on cable. We do, we do our own sports uh, um, analyst desks and stuff like this as part of the curriculum of that college. Um, including having the actual cameras, the equipment, the production studio, all this stuff, and broadcasting it on our own local um, 
university networks as well as some local networks uh, on on cable, which is hilarious for 2020 because that generation doesn't watch cable. But um, the point is, is that they learned they learned those standards, and so we said, well, this is actually really culturally really easy to deploy once this becomes formalized. So let's do everything that we can that we know we can, and really kind of flex the power of what the shoutcasting energies and the and the modern day live streaming platforms have as a pro over the traditional uh, cable pipelines. So we sat down and said, okay, well, let's try and at least focus on finding casting talent on campus. Let's just put out a feeler uh, when we first started the organization, um, the student org itself in 2017. And sure enough, we had uh, applicants for um, Rocket League, League of Legends, and um, to get started. And we had at least a solid four to six in League of Legends alone. So the way that we helped build the, stabi- the stability of that specific division was we partnered with um, our original founding president and vice president of the CEOs of a company called Get Wrecked, which is a local uh, League of Legends tournament organizer uh, that is a nonprofit right now, but it represents now the biggest. At that time, they had just started right before we formalized the um, organization. So they're pretty much the same age uh, in regards to our, our spin up. Now, the benefit for them is that when they started, they had maybe three or five teams, three or five teams that signed up for that first split. Now they're pushing 50 plus teams. Um, And so naturally they needed a division that helped deal with production. So as the presidents and the vice president graduated or moved on or refocused, we formed a formal partnership that says the OU Esports Club will help support Get Wrecked in its League of Legends production needs. And so that allows me to form internships, uh, maybe not paid, but at least I can get them signed off for college credit, which also incentivizes being a member of that program. So that was a really good win right at the beginning um, that are people that people still today don't really fully understand that partnership. But now that they're seeing that they can get college credit for it, it is bringing out those people from the woodwork because it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, it's not scholarship money. And yeah, it's not a curriculum, but it's still counting towards the completion of my degree as an elective. Uh, yes, absolutely. That's extremely powerful. That's as good as a scholarship to me because I'm waiving basically waiving three credit hours worth of, of fees. So um, but the goal with this was. The, the, the now second generation shoutcasting director, first one graduated last spring, or yeah, last spring, and now we're in our, our, our Gen 2 of leadership over this. They take the time with just taking practice VODs from our teams. And he'll spend, um, you know, probably a solid week or two before he ever puts them on the actual live broadcast, talking about, here's what you need to look at. You know, here's the things that you need to focus on um, if we're talking about League or Overwatch or R6. Um, or any of the games that we we support, talking about the strategies, the meta, helping them get a, a deep dive into some of the things that they should isolate and focus on, how to be a color caster versus a play-by-play, how to you know talk about vocal inclination and elevating and lowering voices at certain times. And these, again, are all things that we teach in live broadcast classes uh, that I found across different universities and different programs overall. And we deploy that ourselves. And the crazy thing about all this is that amount of work obviously isn't little, um, but it's all completely done for free. And so the entire development that we built at OU, I wasn't even drawing a paycheck until September 1. And so now the pressure's on me to now start finding the funding, which is no pressure, but uh, um, but that's the next iteration I had. So the biggest benefit here is the able to, for our ability to do our own Monday Night Football. And a perfect testament to this was the last two weekends that we had. Uh, last weekend, we had our own third annual Bedlam with Oklahoma State, and we managed the entire production house. So for three years now, we have done the logistics of Bedlam between Oklahoma State completely in-house. 
if Oklahoma State does have casting talent, we absolutely invite them to co-host or to co-cast alongside an OU caster so that we can make sure that we're being collaborative. But if they don't, then we fill the void um, 100% if needed. That's very, very powerful to make sure that, one, the programming has the ability for fans to care, for parents to support, and for peers to watch the gameplay and build that fan base. Um, Bedlam weekend, which was uh, four or five matches total between Saturday and Sunday, along with two different um, panels for student voices that I, that I facilitated, um, had viewership after the Twitch analytics that I looked at. We had viewership of about 675 um, you know, viewers over the weekend, which is a, a big deal coming out of like literally nowhere, just saying, let's use our brands as a means to elevate. The weekend prior to that, we did our second annual OU Texas Red River Clash series, which was seven games, three panels over two days. And we've been helping. Um, I don't want to claim that we helped build Longhorn Gaming's production stuff, but we've been we've been definitely helping advise, you know, as they've asked questions to get their program off the ground now, too, as Longhorn Gaming now has a division focused on this as well. Um, which is great because the whole point of Bedlam and Red River is that they need to be collaborative. They need to help us showcase the energies from both sides. And that also means the production energies um, because that's, an, that's another way of being com- competitive, but it's so critical to what esports is. Um, and so for the Red River series, we were able to split the workload almost 50 50. Um, and we managed the initial logistics and timing. And so we actually split cast uh, the entire weekend where every other hour we started a new event and it would cascade on either the OU Esports Twitch channel or the Longhorn Gaming Twitch channel. Um, and that way the schedule stayed on time. And if you were a fan of Rainbow Six, but not a fan of Rocket League, you could tune in just at this time. And it started on time no matter what, um, allowing us to have a better viewer uh, viewer um, audience connectivity and making sure we're staying. So we didn't have really any big delays. Uh, not that we didn't have delays, but we at least didn't have big scheduling delays for the overall program. Um, and so that viewership for that event, after all the numbers came in, was over a thousand throughout the weekend. Um, and the other beautiful thing is because of all of that, those two weekends were extra life events, raising money for the Children's Miracle Network. And we raised almost two point eight thousand dollars for kids in our backyards. So that's that's what shoutcasting is for us. And those are some of the direct immediate uh, benefits that it's had uh, given us in just two, the two last weekends alone. Well, I think that it's awesome that, you know, this provides realistically like, you know, a shout casting training program where you're taking this education and the techniques that you teach traditional sports broadcasters and you're bringing it over to the esports world because it's so applicable. And right. the same way that you have to have a, kind of these two different individuals doing the production on a live show, you need to learn how to do it. And, you know, I think it's just amazing that now you're able to kind of evolve it to where you're doing a full-fledged production of events and really adding in both the technical as well as the more front-facing media aspects of it right Right. i know we mentioned sooner esports and you know sending people to cover everything in different events so kind of how did that all come about was it just something that you felt was important or just like an added element to it so my background um on the side, uh, the one thing I didn't mention um, was that I'm a photographer of now 19 years, and I've shot everything from um, weddings to newborns to glamour to cosplay to automotive to even funerals. And the biggest thing when you're running your own side business, your side hustle, and uh, literally have an LLC behind it is obviously understanding that you have to have marketing to draw in um, you know, new clientele and have a good image and, and make sure that you stay on top of, the, of that if you want it to actually be lucrative. Um, aside from the grassroots uh, sharing of your name. 
So that that still applies here. And overall, that industry uh, in collegiate, especially, is is still very infantile. You know, in regards to its formalization of streams, formalization of information flow, and and, and any kind of um, normalization of those things. We don't have the NCAA, you know, the force of an NCAA in this space entirely, nor do we really need it or want it. But we do need something to help, you know, streamline some of our, all of these energies. So sooner, the concept of Sooner Esports was uh, really kind of drawn from the idea that we have to be educational first and foremost, not the context of, of curriculum and research, those things too. But we have to be able to give people a place to go and learn about a program, learn about an industry, learn about events, and learn about it from the views of the people that are culturally in it, not somebody coming out and saying, well, this is gaming, who's not a gamer from the New York Times, you know, something like that. It's Instead, it's coming from the voice of the very person that consumes that content and consumes that culture in real time at that time in their lives. So we knew that we had to create this avenue for, one, our homepage for all of our programs, but two... We wanted to ensure that gamers had the opportunities and people that game um, had an opportunity to have a voice. And that's ultimately what the Sooner Esports Press Outlet is all about. It is about creating this private avenue for students that are absolutely interested in advocating for the things that they are passionate about in the gaming world or esports world. And having a home that is licensed, that is formalized, and will absolutely start to build notoriety as time continues. And Sooner Esports now, um, in its second and a half year of, of existence, is now pushing past around, I think we're on track for about 2,400 unique viewers this year. Um, so again, coming from zero to, to nothing um, is really important. And that's been growth every year. Like last year was right around 1.8. And in the first year, we had just hit like 900. You know, those numbers are, are small, sure. But the whole point of that was grassroots energy spin up of journalism. Um, and we know we need it. Um, and, and the industry overall needs it. And so while it is focused heavily on our experiences at OU, they do cover things that are global, globally uh, significant, um, whether that is some piece of new hardware, um, like a Nintendo Switch review um, or things. So, so students in this, in this team have the ability of doing opinion pieces, event coverage, hardware software reviews. Uh, for instance, we get licenses for indie games a lot. We partner with indie game developers to help get the word out, give them an honest review of their game and feedback. Um, which is something that we all consume without realizing that it's truly journalistic practicum is before you buy the next iPhone or before you buy the next Samsung, you go and you look at reviews of what people's interpretations of how this hardware and software work before you spend your hard-earned cash. Well, maybe not if you're an iPhone user, a little cultish, not to knock iPhones. I used to work for Apple. so. Um, hmm. But uh, you still watch reviews for it. You still say, hey, is it really worth upgrading, even though you know you're going to upgrade anyway? You still go watch your reviews on it. And that's a core fundamental importance to any industry. You know, you have to have that consumer review. You have to have that feedback loop, that that opportunity of an honest review um, that says, yeah, this product is great. This product is sucky. If you're this, it would make sense. If you're not this, then don't spend your money elsewhere. Um, but that's one thing that we do. The other one was my, my opinion pieces. Opinion pieces are absolutely my favorite thing because I learned so much about students and what they see the how they see the world. And at 38 versus 18-year-old freshmen, there is a generational disconnect. And those kinds of opinion pieces allow me to see through their eyes and help me stay young and, and have that vitality and that agility mentally so that I'm not just a uh, straight up boomer in their eyes, you know, in that regard, uh, I'm able to stay a little relevant for as long as possible. And um, one of my favorite ar articles um, actually really taught me a lot. It was one of the, one of almost the first article that was written from the original founding news and media director um, by the name of Bailey Brown, who's now an alum um, and a nonprofit major, as well as professional writing or press 
uh, personal relations uh, and she wrote an article about gender inequality in, e- in esports, which is nothing new for anybody in any industry. We all know that there are gender and representation issues across the spectrum of um, almost anything. However, we can almost all regurgitate the freaking Google Analytics of what those numbers are. You know, women are less than 10% of representation of an industry or 20% of an industry, you know, lower minority demographics. That's nothing new to us. But what she did instead was she wrote an article that spoke and she reached out to personas in the industry that were easily identifiable women figureheads in gaming and esports and said, help me tell a story or tell me a story of your firsthand experiences and adversities in gaming and esports, which paints a much more you know, in immersive article. And I remember uh, within 24 hours, I had two emails from people I'd never know, definitely men. And they said, this article absolutely changed who I was immediately because I never, ever in my life thought that women spent the first five seconds joining any lobby, wondering or not whether they should open their mouth. And that to me was just like, that's the whole reason for Sooner Esports as the press outlet, because that's the educational piece. That's the saying, guys, this is what it actually is. And that, that will, I'll never forget that article and reading it for the first time because it was in tears because this is like, wow. So how do we fix the systematic problem inside of gaming and, and the sexism that happens and the discriminatory practices? But it made it very, very real in a way that numbers could never, you know, percentages and, and representation numbers, just not the same thing. So that was huge, uh, but that, that was immediately empowering for that student. And then immediately more women started to join the organization, which is, again, how, you know, give them the opportunity to have representation, whatever specific demographic you're talking about. And the benefit will be is that you will hopefully draw new fans and new supporters because you are valuing that stuff. And I absolutely do. Um, and so that's that's been great. Now, not that our, our student organization is, is women dominated by any means. It still suffers from that same societal support of women in gaming, but it is exponentially better in the last year than it was the two prior. Um, not that it's anywhere near 50-50 even, but uh, you know any percentile growth in more balance is a huge deal. And especially when we look at national averages of, of gender consumption of gaming, it's definitely more closer than most people think. You know, it's more like 45-55 split female-male uh, women, women, men, and uh, we're not near that. But uh, that's still much closer than the main, mainstream often believes uh, is that, you know, women don't game as much, but they absolutely do. In fact, they're often more hardcore than most men. Um, so, but yeah, so that's the benefit of Sooner Esports, its focus, its purpose, and, um, and its goals. Absolutely. So are you involved in, you know, the esports player recruitment process for who going, goes on the different teams? How does that all work? All right. So that's a fun one. Um, so we developed 10 teams in total with only um, Overwatch and League of Legends having a B team. And at least at this time, I think Rainbow Six will get a B team next semester and potentially Call of Duty as well getting a B team. So what we do is a lot of universities... Um, the administrations at universities often will hire kind of a head coach. And the problem with the head coach role is that you don't typically ask your football coach to also teach soccer as well as volleyball, as well as baseball. And so I refused to have any kind of that ability. Instead, here's the opportunity for me to grow and mentor coaches uh, that are capable of doing this as they get into their upper classes or they graduate from the university as uh, part of this so across the eight titles that we do, um, five of them actually have head coaches. And three of them are, or two of them are alum. The third, uh, Rocket League will be an alum-led coach as he graduates this semester and has already agreed to stay on board. 
So when we go into back to school, um, we basically only have three times or two times out of the year that we market uh, that we have tryouts for competitive rosters. And that's usually August and the ramp up to back to school to start lining that up. Um, all the incoming freshmen by that time already have email access so we can start blasting them and, and making sure that they're aware. Um, and so and then again, as we're coming into the holiday season, we'll send another one probably immediately after Christmas to do the same again for the spring to fill up anybody that was a graduate over the winter break or um or has decided to step back or maybe their grade, grades weren't up to par. And so we need to fill the voids so that we can continue to finish the year out. Then we do kind of like fire, fire recruitment uh, pushes in the case that uh, we did have maybe a catastrophic loss or a dropout or things mid semester um, and maybe not have the backfill available um, so we can make sure that we're still functional. Now that game changes. Um, actually, let me pause. So the way that they do recruitment is I refuse to come into, into a game that I had no business you know, doing like we see a lot of high school coaches, you know, that are completely disconnected from what League of Legends was. Maybe they never played it. They're just the best candidate for being the head coach. And so they're actually having to learn League of Legends alongside their students, you know, which is good because they need the programming anyway. But it's not good in the context of we're going to dominate someone unless you're just lucky and have fortunately talented students um, within your district. In college, uh, prior to scholarship offerings, which I'll talk about the transition here uh, for the spring semester. Um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to come in here. One, I don't have the time to learn every game, um, and I'm a supporter of them all for sure. But I'm no expert by any means in any of these titles. But who is the people in the rosters that are actively playing it? That are absolutely keeping up with the meta, and that's why we're able to scale up so many titles. So what we're also doing is essentially um, one thing that I do want to reiterate about the overall macro view of this program is every single one of the roles that we've developed is designed to become at least a part-time or full-time employee at the university once the full execution of its roadmap is, is done. So this is not only diversity and inclusivity, this is equity building in its, in its most realistic form. Um, these, these students are building their own jobs and I will absolutely fund them um, as we build more notoriety and fundraising. So that's a, that's a huge thing, um, especially when that's our intent from the get-go. So um, I've been fortunate enough that we have coaches. Um, I think a big draw to it, I won't, I won't pretend that it's not, is that I am a Power 5 university and I do have a notable brand, uh, especially in this region. So alumni, um, this is one of those things where it's just like for my alumni that stick around and help contribute across these different developments, especially the coaching. It's one of those things is like, guys, this is your contribution back to the university right now. Like, seriously, it's like, I don't, it, you, when you hit your 30s and the, the development officers of the university start emailing you, let me know so I can say, take them off the list. They are giving back way more than the majority of alumni donate to, unless they're big uh, you know, entrepreneurs. So this, uh, that has helped also build a sense of community and ownership because I don't step in, I don't micromanage them at all. I basically say, here's the policies that you have to abide by in regards to conduct. Here's the minimum requirements that we're allowing any member on the rosters to be. And, um, and then here's the, 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 you know, just the culture that we want to emphasize. Again, using that cultural pillar as a means to feed all the other things, they already know um, because the bigger pool of people in the, in the development of the community is already that more, more calm energy. And so it helps them stay civil. It helps them stay professional. Um, not that I haven't had uh, my problems with toxic players, but they've <laughs> learned really quickly that that stuff doesn't fly here. And now that that OU logo is on their chest, the game is not the same. You can't go to Twitter and berate somebody. It doesn't work that way. Um, you don't see, uh, you, you rarely see. Um, we like to see it though, uh, you know, professional athletes truly targeting other ones in any kind of malicious way. 
It's just not as common. It happens, but it's not a uniform thing. Um, and those things are definitely very highlighted. Um, however, when it comes to team organization and esports in the collegiate sense, when it gets to the point of toxicity and conflict resolution, that's a director to director or head coach to head coach conversation, not a player to player conversation. That's part of the protection of us to protect our brands and our image. And it's also to help us stay disconnected from the emotional components of it and get to the meet to resolution or get to the get to the point of, of conflict resolution so that we could continue to develop our programs. And we need our collegiate peers and they need us, whether they admit it or not. Um, small schools that get to whoop OU's butt. Absolutely. I imagine <laughs> their administrations are really, really happy anytime that they see a power five brand fall to their League of Legends teams or, or Overwatch teams because they haven't been able to compete as easily in other similar uh, similar developments inside of the walls of their of their campus. So um, outside of that, that's where I kind of stop my my um, my oversight of that. Um, so we have a director of intercollegiate competition, also student led, who's kind of the AD, the uh, athletics director, same kind of role. That's over just that division and that pillar. <clears throat> and so he has you know six head coaches and eight different teams or ten different teams across eight titles to make sure that the rosters are collected, make sure that the GPA data is collected. Make sure that the coaches, if the coaches need anything, whether that is a policy review or uh, a moral question or some guidance on on future developments and strategies, then he's that conduit to feedback to the rest of the leadership um, and take ownership of that whole division, um, which is probably one of the most one of the biggest undertakings, um, especially once tournaments start rolling across all ten teams, um, to make sure that they're registered correctly, that they're compliant, that registration and the logos are good, the naming conventions are standardized. The rosters are up to date so that we can get media created. Um, that is a massive undertaking. So if John Hudson ever hears this, good job, sir, because um, that's not <laughs> that's like my job again um, within my job. So, yeah, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. But um, the teams and the coaches themselves, they build they build their tryouts that speak the most sense to their styles. And I leave it at that to allow them to have that equity build and that ownership so they can truly say that they're building something that they're proud of that their students agree with, or that their rosters agree with, and that speaks for the cultures at OU coupled with the cultures within the titles community overall. The power of that specific thing uh, and that mentality is that we partnered with Nike subsidiary, U.S. Summer Camps, and now offer summer camps under that brand that does have a Nike swoosh. And because of the ability to give them so much freedom, um, Overwatch specifically, Overwatch is my overachiever title when it comes to administration. Uh, they are way ahead of others in regards to their own personal initiative. Um, but they built curriculum for beginners, intermediate, and advanced classes within a week. And it was extremely comprehensive. And they launched that first summer camp this last June and drew some, basically drew income for the summer and used it under a Nike brand with their Rolodex available. So we had representation from students in the Philippines, Canada, and Brazil, as well as California, New York, and Florida, which are not OU demographic markets at all. And it showed the power of only the, not only the topic, but also the power of, of, of giving those coaches the freedom to build their worlds um, with just a small layer of uh, compliance that we need as a standard minimum. And that's the end result. And they're basically at that point able to justify their own salaries if we scaled it up. That makes it really easy to endorse it when it comes time to formalize that division because it's just like, well, we need money. Uh, no, we got that. We'll make it ourselves. You just have to help us elevate it. That's all. So that, that's really the, what we've done with, with intercollegiate. Now, the, the main mandate that I gave them, never mind the policy, the main mandate that I gave them is I care more about a gracious winner and a gracious loser. 
right now the industry needs sportsmanlike conduct more than anything. We always like the good rivals. We always like the pettiness sometimes, you know, as long as it's in good fun. But we cannot allow toxicity to ever, you know, become the, what we're known for. We can't allow uh, any of the negative aspects of what we see gaming and, and, and stuff like this to be a part of who we want to be if we want to actually create these opportunities, not only for yourselves, but for those that come after you and the same will be said to them. So uh, the, the, in the very first year, we were invited to an Overwatch tournament that was facilitated through um, the Dallas Fuel um, in North Texas. And it was hosted in Irving, or in, uh, yeah, Irving. And um, we held it, it was called uh, OP Live. And it was an Overwatch tournament. I think it was a 32 team cap uh, tournament. And we had representation obviously from Texas. Um, we were the only energy from Oklahoma, but we also had schools from Mississippi and Colorado. And we got to the grand finals against University of North Texas. And my good friend, Dylan Bray, who I met then, um, decided to you know, whoop us right there in the final. Uh, but in that last moment, that moment of defeat, you saw on my students' faces, you know, just to how much. They didn't know what this was, and then they got into it, and it was a rush. It was our first real experience of being on stage with full production, with all the lights, with all the crowd. And they were just completely shaking. And, you know, some of them, you know, drew tears which is perfect. I mean, not to, not to say, yeah, cry, you know, loser. It's, it's the, they understood the significance of what we were doing in that moment. And fast forward just one second later, they stood up and clapped for their, for their adversaries. And I remember the COO of team Envy walking over to us, Jeff Moore. And he was like, I don't think I've ever seen that ever. He hands me his business card and he said, you know, contact me, you know, this is uh, that's, that's amazing. That, that is substance. That is what I want to see in this industry. Good job. Um, and then he walks off. And um, in that moment, I couldn't have been prouder because those are things that we learn in traditional athletics, you know, be a good sportsman, understand compromise, understand that failure is just a pathway to success. And they learned it firsthand in that moment, doing the one thing that they thought they would never be on a stage for and for tangible scholarship money and tangible prizing. Um, against a school that was right down the street, honestly, you know, only an hour and a half, two hours away. So that was, uh, that's, that's the, just the last story, the last component of the intercollegiate competition division of ours. But uh, yeah, that's our mandate. It's not about winning and it's not even about losing. It's about how you win and how you lose. Um, it's okay to be cocky a little bit. It's okay to be confident. It's okay to be proud, but it's not okay to rub it in the other person's face maliciously. It's not okay to berate them when you're losing. It's not okay to skirt your accountability for your actions and not answering the call of your team to succeed over your adversary. If you, if you don't understand those components, well, then you still have some growing to do. And um, I continuously reiterate that every semester and it's worked for the most part. I would say over the course of three years of competitive energies out of OU, I have maybe only had two or three instances of misconduct or bad conduct or less than, less than desirable uh, conduct uh, in matches. Absolutely. I, mean, I think that's a really important thing to teach, you know, competitors in the kind of this generation early on. So I guess another follow up to that is, I guess all the students are really already OU students. You're not really actively recruiting any former pro gamers or just even looking at, you know, promising high school. Well, players. yeah, so that's uh, that's where we change. So um, you guys heard it here first. Uh, University of Oklahoma will be offering scholarships for the fall 2021 semester. So we don't do that yet. 
Um, and so we're going to come out of the gates here heading into the spring semester in a very big way as we're not offering scholarships just for competition. We're offering scholarships for every individual pillar. That means if you're a shoutcaster, that's a scholarship opportunity. If you're a current community TO, that's a scholarship that I want to pay for. If you are an influencer on Twitch, I will be seeking them out as well as a scholarship opportunity to come to the university. Um, and so we'll have full details on that in the spring, but just know that the University of Oklahoma, the next Power Five coming into the space, will be offering scholarships for the next school year. Now, that changes things. That means that once that press release drops here um, and, and all the details are, are fledged out and formalized, that those coaches and those directors over those pillars are then activated for global recruitment. And uh, that is when a lot of the stuff that I can't even think about entirely yet, um, because it's just like, man, this is going to be extremely tiring. Thank goodness I have a workforce to help me fit these people out. And the, there's a lot of good energies now in the space that can help draw students to us. Once we announce that we have scholarships, we don't really have to go and do a lot of grassroots energies, you know, grass, grassroots campaigning. You know, there's a lot of, of databases and things that we found that are really, really wholesome and collecting the right information, the right character information, and are, are genuinely good referrals of candidates. Um, but I want to I want to also paint this picture uh, for, again, viewership um, in that uh, we have recruits, uh, people that are interested in us, knowing that these things are coming now that live in Austin, Texas. And the reason I mention that is obviously nobody hates Texas the way Oklahoma does and no one hates Oklahoma the way Texas does. But there is no excuse long uh, UT why I have students in your front yard coming to me. Um, and that's my challenge to another university to say, do more, because there is not a single power five in the state of Texas that is offering scholarships yet. And that means that I'm going to dominate your state. And that's unfortunate, but that's not my fault. So that's uh, that's a little P PSA and, and challenge to those, because I, I that's more of a, I look at it as more of an opportunity. Um, I could care less, honestly, as a developer. Uh, yes, I'm going to be competitive and, and want to draw talent to my university but i want them to come here because they believe the program is the right fit and i have every intent pain it may not be in this first wave of scholarship offerings from the university of oklahoma but i have every intent that by the second year at the very latest i will offer women in gaming and esports scholarships as well as gamer scholarships to help combat some of the systematic problems that we see and start supporting those demographics that need more of it um in tandem with those primary scholarships that we offer. So these are these again are things that I'm, I'm I tend to not hear or see that I think would be easy ways to spin up investment or uh, an interest in people's campuses that make perfect sense of how do we combat the issue. And that's another thing that I've seen against some of my peers in collegiate is that a lot of them I don't feel are innovators or developers. <laughs> they are often status quo cookie cutter uh, followers. And that's unfortunate because this topic is so powerful in the higher education landscape. Almost all of us teach business degrees. Almost all of us have some kind of communications or PR. Almost all of us have some kind of marketing or advertising, some kind of creative media production or graphic design. These are all directly impactful opportunities into esports that would just require a little bit of tweaking to then be able to market the curriculum to, to for another avenue of how you use that, that competitive teams program to build on into the actual industry. Because there's very few examples, and there are examples, but there are very few examples of students that come into the collegiate world as a competitor and make it into the pro sector. That pipeline isn't established yet. And if I have so many other opportunities that I can impact, and so many other people are focused on building that pipeline, well, I'm going to let them do that. Why would I go and do the same thing? 
let's go and, and focus on these other things because at the end of the day, I want to see these same programs in other universities because maybe OU being an out-of-state school for somebody is too expensive. Maybe I want to see a Div 3 or a, you know NAIA school or a community college also have a program of substance because that's what they can afford. It's what speaks to them. The culture speaks to them. That's the right fit for them. OU is not, you know, I, I'm definitely not a believer that everybody needs to come to OU. That's not who I am. But, and I don't believe that everybody should even go to college. If you find the application of a college degree and a college career in athletics or in academics, and you can see how it can better and improve your life and your disposition, that's when higher education is, is paramount, not for any other reason. Otherwise, you're going to accrue debt and waste your time, and you're not going to enjoy, you know, the rest of your life as you pay that debt off. You know, my, my wife and I have both master's degrees, and that's fun. Um, you know, worth of debt. So that's, that's not something that I want to anybody else to have. So if I can help supplement that, if the rest of the program speaks to you on multiple fronts, the culture of the campus speaks to you on multiple fronts, and the academic curriculum speaks to you on multiple fronts, then that's a pretty good indication that that's the school you need to go to, whatever brand it may be, period. So, and I look at it as the, the, in the stance that any, any student that's going into any program, whether that's a career tech or a, a two-year college, four-year college, Ivy, you know, Power 5, Div 1, 2, 3, I don't really care about any of that. But any, any, any student that's entering into those worlds, into, those industry, or into that pipeline, uh, under, the, under the banner of esports and gaming is a win for everybody right now as we still fight for mainstream acceptance. Because those are numbers that I can bring back to my administration and say, hey, look, um, uh, we have a, a Div 2 school right up the street that just brought 30 students to their campus out of thin air because they're offering scholarships and, um, and other energies. And those are people that are typically in our market of recruitment. So how do we fix this? And that has a much different narrative with admissions and, and recruitment offices as well as uh, uh, strategic uh, recruitment energies saying, wait a minute, you know, we can't lose out to the smaller schools or we can't lose out to the different, you know, different schools or direct competitors because we're not, we're not building the programs that are, that are actually speaking to the candidates and what they want. Uh, and the response has been good. I mean, even before we, you know, we're still not in scholarship offering day yet, you know, that's still a couple months away uh, potentially. And um, even prior to that, again, because of who we are um, and how long we've been here now, um, last school year, even with the COVID pandemic uh, starting to hit us in the spring, we had over 60 students find us on their own accord. So we don't market that we're recruiting. We never have. We don't market anything aside from just our normal social media posts of where we're doing among us community night or our Overwatch team did this in TESPA this week, you know, the, the traditional stuff. Um, 60 students came through the woodwork on their own accord, unrelated to each other from all over the world. And uh, the one thing that I want to drive home about that is that, yes, the power of the brand is important, sure. But the one thing that was significant to me is I put all those candidates into a spreadsheet and I sorted them by GPA because obviously a lot of people, you know, stereotypes for gamers of those that aren't aware uh, or inside the industry automatically think that that gamers are often D students or C students. No. Well, the average. Well, the no, average. That. Yeah. Well, the average of that 60 student pool of complete random students was over 3.0. And half of them were national merit scholars and half of that were also athletes in the conventional sense. And so when I showed that to recruitment and I said, they were like, okay, all right, we're on board. You've proven your concept. We have no argument against that. Um, and these are markets that we both cater to and that we don't, what do you need from us? And so that started the, the ripple effect of buy-in um, in the spring semester uh, this year. Um, but uh, that, those are the things is that people have their assumptions and their fallacies 
and they latch onto it. Gamers are lazy. They're, they're introverts. Well, introverts, yes. But once you put introverts together with other introverts of the same like, they become extremely extroverted in their communities. Um, and that's no different for anybody. And so these are the strategies of how we can combat that. You want to get students out of their dorms? Well, this is a perfect topic that can help. Um, you know, that's when that venue comes in. You create that safe place as the physical extension of that digital version um, Discord in the community. And you will draw different audiences to specific parts of campus that with that intent. So I've been able to find solutions and arguments uh, with, with deep logical backing and research and, and uh, citation to pretty much any administrator at OU that's come up to me and said, this is dumb, or why are we doing this? And my favorite one was, why do we want to sit here and endorse students sitting on their butts for eight hours a day? This was a VP of uh, the university who is no longer a VP of the university. And my clap back to him was, well, what do you do for eight hours a day? I read emails and, and do phone calls. <laughs> and uh, the room just kind of went, oh, I was like, did you really say that? I was like, like I, I don't mean to be, you know, I'm not trying to be mean. Yeah, I could have worded that differently. But you're coming at me with such malicious intent without allowing me to actually have the ability to 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 understand that, um, you know, to really convey that. And the second one in that same meeting was. I was like, all right, guys, what do you guys do? What, what does a basketball player do with a three-point skill set after they retire? Nothing. They don't do anything with that. What do you do with one millimeter precision movement in your hand-eye coordination after you finish, you know, when you're a gamer? You can do a lot with that, whether that is in the medical field, whether that's in machinery, whether that's in um, artistry. That type of control over your hand movements is the core of the physical activity of what you do, and it translates more to other industries than than the athleticism and the, not to knock athleticism in traditional sports, but you can't use that as an argument. Right. Just because you can run fast isn't really going to help you. <laughs> right. Unless it's like a zombie apocalypse, you know, that <laughs> might come into play, but you know, we'll see. Interesting. So I know you kind of mentioned that there are, you know, databases and companies that kind of have ideas on, I guess, standout high school players or maybe just, you know, top players that are maybe not signed to a team. Yeah. Do you think this is going to be a, big business going to be developed and that there's going to be more kind of coming in the pipeline? Oh, there's already at least six. So there's, um, you know, about two years ago, NACE actually has a component of this um, themselves. Now we're not a NACE subscribed school, but uh, we've known about NACE and, and uh, Mr. Brooks since the, since he founded um, right before we formalized. And they use a tool as part of their subscription model to subscribe to NACE's governance. Um, that does provide a tool for them to get recruitment into, from the high school. So it streamlines the process of collecting the, the, the GPAs, their, um, their game analytics, their extracurriculars. It helps them kind of build, kind of think like LinkedIn slash Facebook for esports, basically. It's the same kind of thing where they can select after they build their profile, um, you know, whether they, most of the times these things obviously don't show their face, they're minors, but it provides the predominance of core data. Like it shows what part of the country and where high school they're at, um, their skills in game, other interesting, uh, other elements that might be of interest. So one of them, um, another company basically aggregates information on whether they have casting ability or creative ability. And that's not by, uh, that's not by coincidence. That was because of direct feedback from me. But that's perfect because that helps me also have another pipeline to find recruits, not just for competition. But basically, when they select, I want to go to school for being, I want to be a computer science major. I want to be a meteorology major. I want to be, I want to learn more about journalism or any of these things. Those databases, as the schools go into them and register and show what they have available, automatically is kind of like matchmaking. So it's now LinkedIn, Facebook, and a little bit of Tinder in there, you know, and that kind of, you know, kind of matchmaking mentality. 
Um, and so it'll automatically pipe me those candidates, you know, as they come in, which makes it again, really easy for me to just push it to that coach or that director and just say, Hey, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and delegate, you know, or sit here and do a first round. You guys are the first round after you vet the candidates that you think are good fits for your teams. That's when we come back we have a conversation and then we schedule an interview with the student to see their character type. And then we come back and say, is this going to be an award winner? Are we going to actually offer them um, this uh, or, or what? So that's the, the process loosely in my head. But that's an amazing tool because prior to those things, where would you find them in the first place? You know, they were having to literally scour the Internet to find these opportunities. And now there's there's some pretty f- most of these are actually free to high school youth um, and the colleges naturally pay for it. You know, they have to make money somewhere. And that's perfectly fine, especially considering the amount of timing that they're saving us. Now, the biggest challenge is standardization for that. Now, if I said I have six companies that are doing the exact same thing for the high school students, well, which one should I be on? Well, right now, the answer is all of them, sadly. Um, I, don't, I haven't really seen any universities that are um, other developments that are saying that we exclusively use this for headhunting. Um, I plan to actually limit it to at least two on purpose. Um, to help us streamline that further. The one that helps us provide the broad stroke of, of talents, um, whether that is a competitive energy or casting energy or creative energy, um, those are the things that make it really easy for us. Um, the other ones are just the ones that uh, might have the sheer volume. And when I say partnership, um, I, use that word, I use that word, I don't use that word loosely. I use that word based on people that I've interacted with in a firsthand basis that we've spent more than a 30-minute call with and that we've either done business with or we've talked about development in a much deeper dive. I don't, I don't allow anyone to be labeled a partner of our development until at least some of those things happen. So we have a partner's page on Sooners Esports and Sooner Esports, and every brand that's on there are people that I've talked to at least four to five hours at a minimum, and we've actually had execution in, in, multiple, in multiple means. And so one of, the, one of the vetting tools or one of the, one of the headhunting tools that we use is exactly that, that, that uh, program which I won't mention now, but that program is also developing uh, energies for the inner city kids, which is also something that we're doing in tandem. Um, so we're partnered with like our police athletics leagues to leverage social work degrees and sociology degrees for internships and college credit as a means to be preemptive for youth uh, using gaming as a, as a tool versus continuously approaching um, the topic of defund the police, aka restructure the police without any real solutions. So gaming and police athletics leagues and, and utilizing gaming in a structured environment can serve the same purpose as what we saw in like a gridiron gang or, or um, any of these, uh, you know, traditional um, sports movies or, or stories where gaming or athletics was used to allow um, youth to, to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and, and, and get back on track. And we'll do the same thing with gaming with a much, much lower overhead and a much, much lower opportunity of violence uh, and potential um, conflict or, uh, anger problems. So those types of things speak to me on a very, very deep level. And if they're in business and, and something I can consume, those are the ones that I want to uh, consume and, and subscribe to. So, uh, but yeah, that makes the job easier. Uh, for the high schoolers, it does make the job actually kind of harder because now you have multiple platforms. And it'll be really interesting as those deals start to spin up. You know, if a, if a certain brand, let's say an Ohio State, you know, Ohio State or even a UT, you know, they have campuses that are 50,000 plus. So naturally, they have bigger budgets, they have bigger endowments, they have bigger alumni pools just because of the amount of people that they graduate out of their universities versus, uh, you know, like an OU that's at 30K um, or, or, you know, anything that's smaller. 
So if Ohio State or UT eventually get to that point where it's just like, all right, we're going to officially use this as our primary sponsor or our primary tool and so forth, then that'll start to steer them using those things as the, as the mechanisms to draw them. So, yeah, it'll make it easier on our end, um, you know, but there'll be more and more. Granted, it's a new market overall, and we've seen all kinds of new software solutions and tools like this come into the space. And most of them are not bad. Like, I'm not going to, they're definitely above average of what I would consider usable. <laughs> but there are champions. There are absolutely ones that listened to the audiences, understood what they were hearing back from their cons- consultants and, and confidants, um, and are applying that feedback. And those are the ones that are going to win out. Um, instead of the, the business ventures that are coming in and saying, well, we have big money and if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come does not work for gamers. Why? Because we've been living inside of our houses with our internet and our $2,000 computers since 2000. So why would that need to change? You have to do more than if you build it, they will come because that just doesn't apply. Um, you have to, it has to speak to them. It has to be sensitive to that culture on top of the business need on the other side of the uh, workflow. Interesting. So, you know, another kind of question that you kind of touched on. So how do you decide what leagues or tournaments that you guys compete in? I know you mentioned you're in TESPA, but not NACE. How does that work? So uh, we don't subscribe to any governing bodies, mainly because none of them suit our needs. Um, It's not because um, we think that NACE is bad. I absolutely admire what NACE has done, what Michael Brooks has done with that program. Um, Overall, we have another one with like EGF and Tyler uh, that is focused more on Division One and Power Five schools. Um, our challenge with those is that it's still too, it's still too early for us. Like, that's the thing is like most of these people that are joining NACE, they're joining NACE because they need guidance on how to get started. And I never, ever looked at NACE as a, as a means to say, I need help getting started. Like most of the schools inside of the NACE, inside of NACE's roster are D2s and smaller. The political landscape, the administrative landscape that those schools have to deal with is nothing like the power fives and div ones. It's just not. Um, and so that increases, you know, that increases the logistical hurdles that we have to go through. You can't just go to an athletics program at a Div 1 or a Power 5 university and say, hey, I want to put esports under here. And they're going to be like, get out of my face. You can do that at a Div 2, easy, because they don't have anywhere near the stringent compliance that we have with NCAA and governing bodies on the athletic side. But that's why you don't see any athletics program sponsored uh, esports programs at Div 1 and, and Power 5 universities. You only see them at Div 2 and smaller. Um, so those, those again, aren't completely applicable. The other thing too, is that nobody, even with governance, uh, guidance from an entity like NACE, nobody is still even doing it the same way. You have Utah that's side of their engineering program. You have me and Ohio state, which are now under student affairs. You have, and before that I was under it before the September elevation, you have, you know, other schools that are putting it, you have Boise state who's under education. Um, so th- there's no standardization for that and nobody's coming in to tackle that problem. Um, uh, in the div in the div one power fives so that's uh that was what i liked about nace is they took care of really it's not that they, their intention was taking care of the smaller schools but inevitably they've taken care of the smaller schools which are more abundant and presents a much bigger opportunity while the the big the bigger schools and their slow nature catch up which i, I absolutely liked um i want i love the the balance that it created um in allowing some of these schools that didn't really have a name for themselves um, aside from just being an accredited college, to now have a name for themselves in a very big way and a very big topic that obviously I care about. So I, I like that as a means to help use it as a catalyst and inspire my administration to say, look, when I started, there was less than 25. Now we're 220 plus. And I've been saying that since 2017 and 2018, when I could stand on my own two feet with this topic. And now you're behind. Um, despite being ahead in regards to what we've built, 
we haven't formalized that in regards to full execution, funding, and so forth. Until that day comes, we're behind. Um, so that was uh, that's helped. But uh, so when it comes to the tournaments, never mind the governing bodies, the tournaments, uh, the TO specifically. Um, the the only requirements again, I, I don't micromanage the coaches unless there is an initiative like the Play versus Rocket League partnership feeding into CRL uh, into the collegiate Rocket League line um, this year. So College Carball Association and uh, Collegiate Rocket League being kind of the, the epicenter of Rocket League play, originally kind of being under Psionics, uh, is partnership with Tespa itself. Um, now it's its own entity. Also sold basically eight slots to their to their uh, to their um, finals um, to like play versus. So if you went through the play versus pipeline, you there was eight slots that were going to make it into the CRL. If you went to somebody else's pipeline that they approved and there's another eight slots out of that that uh, round of 64 or round of 32 whatever they did so the way that we scope it is i don't um that was the only the only one where i told rocket league that you're going to be in play versus on top of your typical crl uh, mainly because i did as much as some people don't like what play versus is doing in this space um i actually liked it for rocket league it made sense the tool was really easy to use um, because i have a, another interest in and in how that tool could be used for k-12 through and some other things that i'm working on so I wanted to say at least try it. It didn't cost us any money, and it gave my players more game time. So why not? Win-win. Um, instead of just trying to find scrims, now you just have double the games. So again, two chances at going to finals instead of one. So um, outside of that, the coaches and the captains that are over these programs, they have their choice. The only requirement that I have for tournaments is that it has to be a collegiate-only tournament where there is a tangible scholarship prize pool. When I say tangible, that means that I don't want, I don't want physical money. I, want, I, mean, I don't want physical... Uh, accessories i want a scholarship or money to their pockets so as long as it meets those two criteria then i don't care what they do and so tespa is obviously the biggest one for overwatch uh until umg did their tournament last uh semester which was decently run but horribly executed in payout um which we won't talk about anyway uh but uh the, you know that's how we subscribe to that now that's that's their primary focus every program has to have a primary focus so for uh, Overwatch, it's TESPA. For League of Legends, it's it's Collegiate uh, Rocket League. For the A team, or not, it's the Collegiate Series from Riot for their A team. For the B team, it's um, uh, Collegiate Star League's League of Legends uh, tournament. For Rainbow Six, it is Collegiate Collegiate R Six. For COD, it's it's also um, the TESPA collab Collegiate COD. Um, for Rocket League, it's split between Play Versus and CRL directly. For Smash Brothers, rest in peace, because that Nintendo netcode and COVID are definitely not friends. Um, that is Collegiate Star League as well, which has never been run well. Uh, if any CSL um, viewership is or fans of CSL are listening, CSL Smash coordination is trash. Please fix it. And uh, But that's it. Then I also open it up to as long as they have their primary focus and they understand that that's priority one, then they are welcome to explore any other tournaments that they see fit without any any really required uh criteria so um that means if they do have a tournament where there is a small registration that they can go make some quick money on or whatever then they can't i don't i don't inhibit them now that might change now that we're you know formally adding that word varsity and, and scholarship and stuff like that to it but i'm trying my hardest not to uh, because those scholarship awards aren't going to be enough to even you know pay for a quarter of tuition they're just not not in its first iteration so why would i limit their talents uh through that and that's okay that's one of the benefits of not having governance um, and creating some opportunity for them to also have other avenues of exposure, experience, and different talent pools um, instead of just limiting them to the single track. 
So that's that's how we that's how we subscribe to tournaments for governance. Again, going back to things like NACE, EGF, um, and the governing bodies that we have to subscribe to, we haven't found one that we're a fan of. Um, and including some of the bigger universities that have made their names for themselves, whether that's a UC Irvine or a um, a Utah and AJ Dimmick, like I mentioned before, they're not NACE schools either, um, where a lot of people think they are. But yeah, uh, I don't. I just don't see the. I don't see the the benefit for us yet. I think the time is, I think that it's necessary, but I don't think that's the right fit for our specific culture and uh, administrative hurdles that we have to deal with. Absolutely. So, you know, I know you're very involved in the whole curriculum and course development. Mm -hmm. Are there particular courses or, you know, curriculum that you think potential students and universities might find valuable that's currently lacking, like more business focused classes or, you know, more on like the brand development and how you build your own personal marketing presentation and plan yeah so not uniformly but definitely majorly i see two different paths for schools to start spin up curriculum the first one is a graduate certificate program um typically focused on the business of esports and i've seen this at multiple institutions i myself am also one that does that i adjunct at smu on the side um, which was prior to my elevation some of that sounds like a conflict of interest um, and it absolutely is now but it wasn't prior to it. Um, and so that's I'm executing the finish of the curriculum spin up in tandem with some really, really cool people from um, <clears throat> companies like FaZe Clan and um, uh, another one through SMU in North Texas. So that'll be really cool. But that's one that's one avenue that I see a lot of schools doing because they can spin up a graduate certificate program really easily without their board of regents approvals. It doesn't take an act of Congress to make it happen. And it does create some at least start in the offering of some curriculum. Um, the second one that I see the most common is a degree in communications. Um, we have two schools in Oklahoma that are offering communications-based esports degrees, which also makes sense to me uh, and perfectly uh, an opportunity because, again, communications, depending on the programming scope, can entail marketing and advertising in there as well as those uh, communications mechanisms but um, and PR as well. So those, those are valid to me in regards to what they were thinking. But that's still too narrow sided. And granted, you know, there's been schools that have been executing now for three or four years pretty easily, five years even, at this caliber, at this tier. And so when I uh, when I look at academic curriculum and research practical opportunities, I did the same approach when it looked like what we were going to build as the infrastructure of the program itself. So each one of these pillars signifies degrees that are available on OU's campus, as well as what we need in the industry. And so I'm going down the path of looking through all the logical ties, the discovery phase of that. And right now, there's probably a solid 12 degrees that I'm going to look at of impact. And my approach to this is going to be, instead of spinning up curriculum entirely from scratch, some places it'll make sense, but the majority of places it does not. Creative media production, which I mentioned earlier, is a perfect example. 85% um, of the curriculum, I would say, is relevant for esports application as is. So all that needs to be done to modernize that is maybe add, you know, one or two course options that give more exposure to the esports pipelines and the live streaming aspects. Otherwise, the broadcast standards, the 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 creating the overlays and motion graphics and stuff like that already translate. The timing of it and understanding the the production and, and the energies and the workflow of that all translates to it as well. So that does two things. Um, the first, it allows us to to accelerate programs that already have a lot of investment in them and Second, for anybody that's in those programs and graduates of that programs, even departed as an alum, now just gained value in their investment that they already that they already expended. 
So I would much rather have that approach because that will help me also draw alumni back and say, all right, here's what we did. We just gave you an additional tick on your bullet, on your, on your, um, on your degree and your resume that says that this degree is applicable to this other industry that's starting to grow really, really rapidly. Um, now, CMP is probably one of the biggest ones that we can that we can modernize or not modernize, but evolve for this scope. Another one, journalism and professional writing inside of that college. But then we move on into business. That's business, international business, sports team management, marketing, uh, entrepreneurship, MIS. Those are all things that can also be applied to this industry. Moving on to another area, arts and sciences, um, fine arts. Uh, you know, that's an interesting one. Um, I'm even going to go down the path of like theater and so so forth as a means to um, talk about uh, the birth of like visual arts in 3D because of character design and costume design in video games. You know, that's a logical exploration of how can we at least take a look at what we have and how does it apply to this industry that's um, five billion this year um, overall in gaming in general. So one of my favorites um, that I'm going to activate pretty early on is social work. And I don't think I can think of another school that's really focusing on social work, but social work will probably actually be the first degree of evolution. Um, and there's uh, a multiple reasons of that. The first one is, is I worked at the juvenile facility in Oklahoma County for three, uh, for three years, and the job gave me shingles at 27. And um, the reason for that is that I, I got to see firsthand what public servants have to deal with and what resources they lack and the amount of things that were just heartbreaking in regards to students or youth stories and uh, the unfortunate nature of some of the systematic oppressions and things that we, that we have in place societally. So in Oklahoma, those facilities are not rehabilitation centers. They are purely detention centers because we do not have the taxpayer funding and support to build rehabilitative programs, which is heartbreaking in itself. Um, and the reason for that often is because taxpayers would much rather just say that, why am I going to pay for them as youth when I'm already going to have to pay for them by default as an adult once they get to that system, which is a very backwards mentality. It's not that it's illogical. But it also shows the lack of, of vision and support of the actual community and those that need massive amounts of help. So social workers, um, <clears throat> I understand their place. I understand what they deal with. I understand their stresses. I also understand how I also don't quite understand still how many of those um, are term, you know, life term careers, because I couldn't do that job for my life that I would it would just it would be so depressing. Um, so forth. So but how do I help them? You know, how do I uh, improve the disposition? And how do I improve their, their resources to help inspire youth and, and parents and, and support networks to, to you know, help their youth stay on track so that they can have a chance? And that's why I mentioned that scholarship before, First Gen, um, Gamer, Women in Gaming. Um, there will be other iterations of those kinds of focuses in the future. But uh, our partnership with Oklahoma City Police Athletics League is one of that first waves of tackling just that. So, you know, most major metropolitan areas have a police activity or a police athletics league. Um, you know, birthing in New York uh, many, 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 many moons ago. And so the evolution of the pandemic response has then taken them out of physical programming and they have explored esports, starting with Rocket League, probably the absolute best title to start for that type of focus now that it's free to play. And when I found out about it, I reached out to them and said, hey, I'd love to hear what you guys are doing. Like, I love this. Uh, I know what your world looks like. I worked in with a lot of the same peer departments that you guys have um, in that time in that part of town. So we got to know them and, and did it and said, hey, how about this? You know, would you guys, I know you guys need volunteers in your physical events. You know, you guys obviously ask volunteers to come help them run programs or, you know, contribute their time. Can we add that now, those same kind of methodologies in esports? And so I said, well, can we offer internships for two different focuses? First, for production in our shoutcasting division. Because if you're doing Rocket League, well, we can do production for that. 
And two, the community organization and support of that Discord and those things that we're doing for those kids. Because the majority of those people in the, in, that are running the program are definitely those that are married and have kids. And they don't have that traditional gamer hour mentality. So they're not awake at the 10 to 2. Not that the minors should be either. But if we have trusted peers that are in training to be social workers, then name a better candidate to be in its place. Um, that already have those sensibilities. We'll already have training in mental health um, and conflict resolution and stuff like this and working on it. So we brought that back to our college of social work and they said, this isn't an internship. This is practicum. And I was like, cool. Well, I didn't want to push that because it's not my place, but let's go. Like practicum is perfect because now it can build research. Now it can build um, use cases. It can get documented. It can get research funding. Um, and that's going to, yes, that's going to make OU look great. That's fine. It's going to diversify its pool of things that you can do with a social work degree. That's amazing. But all I care about in that transaction, the thing that I care about more is that we just impacted youth in a very big way and will. Um, and that's going to inspire them to stay on that right track and stay on those things and find other options, um, regardless of whatever disposition they may have currently given their life. So that to me is what I'm after more than anything. So um, other degrees that we can impact, things like anthropology, the study of digital communities. That's a perfect alignment for research practicum. Psychology, mental, mental and behavioral sciences, nutritional sciences. Law is another one um, that I'm really, really fond of uh, as we need more and more compliance um, and more and more protection um, for uh, the amounts of diversification we have in our specific development, but more as the industry continues to grow. Um, compliance, compliance, compliance for sure. And um, then we have things like education. You know, we had a big push in the entire educational industry for gamifying the classroom a decade ago. And this one is extremely important to me. I have one, one story to share on this one, and then I'll, I think I'm done with curriculum. But um, last May, or yeah, this past May, we partnered with a company called Gamer Jive. And Gamer Jive creates a 3D immersive uh, virtual environment, very similar to what you would kind of experience in a VR chat or uh, any kind of 3D room, but also couple it with the power of teleconferencing with webcam plugin, vocals, text functionality, emotes, everything. So it's, it's literally all those things in a single platform. The beauty of this platform is it's all native netcode. Or, or, yeah, so you can just, it's built right into Chrome and, and Firefox. You don't have to have any plugins. Unlike Zoom, it's just completely JavaScript driven and 3D accelerated code. So it makes the accessibility of it very, very high um, and the ability to send server wide broadcasts. So imagine taking Discord and giving it a 3D representation um, with all the tools of Discord and having an avatar that can go and interact instead of just reactions. It was very, very powerful. And we partnered with them along with Longhorn Gaming um, and several others. The Marine Corps was there and we did a global career fair uh, for a week. We had uh, different, uh, different uh, keynotes, different conversations, and, and we, we Hitmarker was a sponsor. So we brought a lot of really cool brands in the space just to kind of show it as a use case. Well, after OU put out the press release that this is what we were doing and we had some local coverage for that, um, I got contacted by a representative of the Iowa tribe of Oklahoma. And historically, tribes have been, not all, but the majority, again, um, have been slow on the uptake of technology change um, as, they, uh, as, they, as they struggle to stay connected, especially in this COVID landscape. A lot of them have been deeply impacted because of that, that mentality and, and um, a little bit old way of thinking. Well, the, the lady that contacted me, um, she was, she's the higher education coordinator for the entire tribe. 
And she was intrigued by what we were doing at Scope. And we spent a good two hours conversing about its potential, what I'm doing, um, the other energies in this space. And then yesterday, just yesterday, uh, November 19th, she executed a full-fledged uh, higher education and post-high school career fair, uh, or career fair, yeah, yeah, career fair for her youth in the Iowa tribe. And I got an email after that uh, from her uh, ceasing everybody that was in attendance uh, or the universities and the programs in there. And inside of it were the bulk of almost all the Oklahoma University recruitment offices, the U.S. Army and, and other armed, first armed forces and things like this. And so this is where we blend that, that gaming community and culture with the application of education and recruitment and utilized our, our strengths on both fronts. Because you still need to be an event quarter, regardless of the virtual space. You need to say, here's when people are online. Here's how we need it to look. Let's pick the color palettes. Let's pick, you know, the furniture. That's It's funny because that's a little bit of Sims and SimCity in that. And then you execute that, have communications, have a master of ceremonies, have a schedule for review or interviews and, and uh, set up the booths and things like this. You're literally creating a virtual career fair. And to see the response was nuts. Like to see the email with the over 60 different programs tagged. She conquered COVID for the youth of the Iowa tribe using gaming technology. And that is the most powerful thing um, that I've probably ever seen uh, this year at all. Never mind my own career fair. That just blew mine out of the water. Absolutely. So, you know, I want to kind of tie everything together as we kind of, you know, get to the end of this. So I know you mentioned scholarships are really on the horizon. What's one or two other, you know, future things that you have for the esports program at OU? So everyone's going to build a venue. We're not going to be any exception. Um, however, our venue will be focused on uh, facilitating those summer camps of the intercollegiate competition, uh, facilitating obviously training. So again, nothing new there. But every one of those six pillars will have its own physical location within that venue. And um, that venue, which we ha aside from saying that we're going to have a venue, that's really where we're at right now. We, we're playing with the idea of where it can go. Uh, and we've, we've narrowed it down to a couple locations. So hopefully the next 60 to 90 days, I might have more news on that. Um, and hopefully the flow of, of funding to start building that out. Um, as we are now in the phase of drawing blueprints and drafts of what these spaces could look like so we can go to the approval boards and move forward. So that one is, again, every university eventually gets their venue space will be no different. And not that I said anything that I said will be focused on anything that's unique, in my opinion. The program itself is what's unique. That's just the physical manifestation of those six pillars. Um, and so that's that's it. Uh, the uh, the big thing, scholarships is a big one. Academics is a big one. You know, these are all things that every other university is doing. The only the only differentiator that I would say, and which is also my challenge to the industry, which is the same challenge I issued in my TED talk, is is literally do more. If you're in higher education and esports, explore everything, because I am. And if I am, that means that uh, I'm going to find the pathways because I have found the pathways every single time on this journey. And that's why I mentioned that that kind of friendly challenge to, to UT Austin and the fact that I have students who whose parents are UT alum that are reaching out to me that says, hey, you're about to offer scholarships, but I don't see anywhere at UT's at this. That that to me is is an opportunity. Yeah, great. But uh, that's not that's not the kind of um, opportunity that I think uh, should exist. Yes, I'm going to capitalize on it. Sure. But hmm. I need UT here just as much as that. I need Oklahoma, you know, I need my Texas Tech here. I need my Baylor. I need here. I need those those brands because for us, and this is, again, not a jab at um, any university despite this classification, but we know very well, like I mentioned before, that the smaller schools that, that attack the bigger schools 
and beat them in competition. The smaller school administrations are all about that. They love seeing that. The alumni love seeing that. Great. Use that to your advantage. That's part of your strategy. For the schools like OU and Texas Tech and these big schools, they could care less uh, unless it gets really, 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 really rampant. And we can get to the point where it's really tangible in their front face uh, regards to these analytics. But you throw in a UTOU or an OU Texas and a you know Oklahoma State Oklahoma or a, you know Rutgers and a you know whatever, then those administrations have a different opinion and they are like, wait a minute, okay, this translates to something I know now it's relatable. So that's uh, that's why I challenge people. If you're just focusing on competition, you can be doing more. If you're just focusing on academics, you could be doing more. If you're if you don't have a community engagement component that's deep dive community engagement, and I'm not talking about the scope, the scope of the region. I'm talking about your own student experience, whether you are a 3,000 member school or a 30,000 plus member school, then you're missing an opportunity to truly build your future alumni donors back to your university and give them that experience of what they partially subscribe to by your by coming to your university. So these are all things that we have been doing since day one. And as it becomes more and more visible, I think we'll paint the picture about what is truly capable in this energy and with this topic in a university landscape. I also have the added benefit of being classified as a tier one research campus. Um, so that allows me to have access to certain things as well in regards to you know funding support or um, the ability to spin up specific research types. That will also give me a competitive edge and us in the university landscape in this topic, a competitive edge as we continue to explore it. So all those things are being worked on. All those things are being worked on in tandem. Um, and I don't mind sharing these things mainly because what I'm doing is not cookie cutter and nobody should ever look at what somebody is doing as a cookie cutter uh, you know, opportunity. It's just showing you that it can be done in this way. But my campus is nothing like UT Austin's campus and culture, just like it's not anything like the campus in UC Irvine or Berkeley or UCLA or UC Davis or anything else. The cultures are what really drive this home. It's the culture combination of both the industry, the communities and what you have on your campus, as well as the faculty and their capability to, to process this and, and run with it. And then obviously the alumni supporters, all those things have to be delicately balanced and listened to equally to build that program of substance. Otherwise, you are just going to build a program that is more, if you build it, they will come. And eventually that will work. Uh, because once as the main as the mainstream acceptance in the culture is elevated to understand that these things are standardized or normalized and more and have more support, it'll eventually work. But right now we need more innovators. Right now we need more uh, we need more actual de you know developers that are pushing the agendas forward. You know, if you're in the top one percentile of competitive energies, keep that going because that that that's showing you that what you can do when you do put your eggs in that basket and you do flex hard in that specific focus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is if you're coming into to collegiate esports and you have competitive energies and that's really it, but you're not really in supporting that head coach or supporting that director, you're just giving them a title and saying, all right, go make this cool program. Everyone's esports is the rave. And you just sit back and watch them and not actually support them. Well, you're actually doing a disservice. You're actually hurting the industry because those supporters of those communities and those students are going to get burnt out without any real uh, achievement opportunities or, or growth potential. And they're just going to be like, uh, gaming is dumb and stupid and administrations are just going to be like, well, we wasted our money and our time on this. So we're just going to not do it. We need all schools here, regardless of which caliber or tier they're at. And that means doing a due diligence of remembering that we're in the, in we're in the industry of innovation. We are higher education. Our job is to create the professionals of today and tomorrow. And anything that's not aligned with that is where we're kind of missing the point and why it's, 
why we're actually helping the naysayers that say college is stupid and higher education is irrelevant and has been marginalized heavily is because we aren't innovating and uh, we aren't innovating rather. And so this is that challenge to say, don't forget who we are and what our purpose is in the industry as higher education. Absolutely. I think that's a, you know, a really kind of great point to just end on. And, you know, I have three more questions and I ask them every time. So, you know, what's your favorite game to watch? Uh, you know, I think Rocket League has become my favorite, especially when it's a colorful caster. Um, and I, I think I think part of it is because one, I'm a soccer player. So that that translates um, Two, I'm also a car guy as a mechanic in the military. Um, and three, the happy-go-lucky kind of energy of Rocket League uh, goes from really fun to really serious in a much more organic and less aggravating way. Uh, it's just it's just a really well thought out game. Uh, plus, the impact uh, societally of Rock, what Rocket League represents, I think, is significant to me too. Um, especially when I see the ability to penetrate K through twelve buy-in versus a Call of Duty or an Overwatch or a Valorant, which Definitely, despite the fantasy nature of Fortnite and those types of titles, it's still gun, gun violence at the mm-hmm. core and is a, is a hard sell for some, for many. But Rocket League is kind of a not. It's the opposite of that. And at the UT, at the Longhorn OU Texas matchup, we had these two wonderful casting talents from UT and Longhorn Gaming. And uh, one of them goes by the name of Bales. That's his IGN. And I could not stop laughing. He was such an engaging and amazing casting talent. Um, I was so thoroughly entertained um, by him on top of the gameplay. So part of it was, is we did two rounds. We had enough time available to do two rounds. So the first match was a best of seven series that UT won. And then the second one, um, and we use these as campaign modifiers. So, uh, or for fundraising modifiers. So basically the fundraising campaign for Rocket League was you get to pick the terms of what kind of game that we play in the second go, which doesn't count for the score. It's just the exhibition part of it. So they chose to play um, a variant of Rocket League where the speed is double and the ball is four times bouncy. And so it's just chaos. So if you bring a talented caster in there that's still trying to be intentional, uh, it can be really, really comical. And it absolutely was. Um, I would have side stitches. So I think Rocket League kind of takes my place because of its potential to the industry, whether that is collegiate K through 12, its ability to break down the barriers for buy-in across the majority of titles. It doesn't really need any serious explanation, honestly. It's car soccer. And if anyone asks questions, it's cars playing soccer. Hmm. Well, that's dumb. We'll just watch it with casting. And they're yeah, like, it's oh, fun. Okay, it's it. exciting. It moves it's quick. Good. Like you said, it's easy to pick up on. Right. So I think that's, that's my win as the educator, as a developer in saying, which game is the hardest one to explain? That's rainbow six. That's chess. You know, that's league of legends. And that first whole, what the hell is the first seven minutes of league of legends? Um, you know, and that's overwatch when it's a wombo combo coming out of Zarya. Like, what am I watching? You're watching neon vomit on the screen. And if you don't have convulsions, you will after watching it. You know, those are, those are the hard things to explain. So, hmm. Um, but yeah, so the game is absolutely Rocket League for me. Okay, so the favorite game to play? Favorite game to play is Heroes of the Storm for me uh, right now, uh, mainly because I am a Blizzard fanboy, having grown up in Warcraft 1 through 3, as well as Blue, Brood, uh, Starcraft and Starcraft Brood War, and also being a huge uh, buy-in for uh, World of Warcraft. I was never a Diablo fan, uh, not that I had anything against it, I just didn't spend any time in it. Uh, I was raised in a very conservative household uh, at the t- in my youth, and so anything with the word Diablo in it uh, yeah. obviously was a non-starter. <laughs> But um, but I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of the character design in Blizzard's uh, uh, canon. And so Here's the Storm is the perfect place to realize that and put a Sylvanas versus an Artanis or a Zeratul versus 
uh, a tracer, you know, those types of things. Uh, it's the only place you can do that. Um, and so I, I thoroughly enjoy Heroes of the Storm. Plus, you can pick it up and put it, put it down pretty quickly, and the games are often 20 minutes, 25 minutes or less. I'm a, I was definitely a big StarCraft and StarCraft 2 guy, so I know that Blizzard affinity. So mm-hmm. who's your favorite video game character? You know, Mario, Luigi, Pikachu? You know, this is also hilarious. Um, it's hard for me to define. Um, uh, man, I don't think I've ever been asked this question. <laughs> I would have to say Mega Man. Mega Man was my favorite go-to. Um, and for, okay. for one major reason, Mega Man was my introduction. And remember, if no one has ever looked at Mega Man this way, you'd have to be a, a kid in the 80s and 90s to understand my viewpoint. Mega Man was my introduction to EDM. Think about that for a minute. Think about the soundtracks inside of Mega Man. Just all the dance music. Yeah. And so is that electronic music. And as a kid that's a nerd... Um, it was perfect. Mega Man also had one of the best uh, ways of explaining how to play the game um, because it didn't have a tutorial. It didn't need it. It showed you in the quick cutscenes that Mega Man was charging up his Mega Blaster. And it's like, wait a minute, how do I do that? And then you would go and explore it. So it's showing you the capability of what Mega Man could do without telling you how to do it. And it caused you to have to problem solve to say, how do I make my Mega Man do that? That to me is ingenious in care in game design, um, and there was plenty of Mega Man games that were just crappy. But um, <laughs> but but a Mega Man will always be near and dear to me as I have a figurine behind me in crimson to represent OU and Red Mega Man, and I have a an actual commissioned portraiture uh, a portrait of Mega Man that says Moog, Director of Esports underneath it that a, a dear friend of mine had commissioned um, along with the elevation that happened in September. So Mega Man is definitely my my number one, mainly because of the cultural influence of music the gameplay style, and it's one of the very cherished memories of mine um, coming back to the States from West Germany and picking up Mega Man 2 and 3 um, on the Nintendo and and just jamming out to Snake Man's anthem, which is legit still amazing, and especially as a remix in EDM. Um, some of those original just songs are, are iconic, just iconic for me. Amazing. That was a really great answer. So, you know, thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. And- you know, thanks everybody again for tuning in. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q. Check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes. And Mike, tell everyone where they can find you. All right. So you can find my personal channels at Moog Diesel, M-O-O-G-D-I-E-S-E-L on Twitter. That's probably the best social media platform to find me on. Um, you also can check us out at uh, at sooneresports.org. Uh, that will hopefully be converting to a dot com here next year as we flex on that strategies of having this press outlet. Um, and naturally, Twitter will probably be the easiest one. And across almost all social platforms, it's Moog Diesel in general, uh, even on Discord and so forth. But Twitter is the, the best way to reach out to me, honestly. Um, I'm hyper attentive to those things. Um, but I'm on, I'm on every platform, and I can uh, share those things once you reach out. Awesome. So everyone have a great night, and we'll talk to you soon. about mcdonald's all day can't get it off my mind i can already taste it Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some mickey d's deal there's a deal for every moment at mcdonald's right now get two of your favorites for just 350 mix and match a classic mcchicken a hot and spicy mcchicken or a juicy mcdouble price and participation may vary cannot be combined with combo meal single item at regular price 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.